Hello and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I'm one of your hosts. Every week we bring you interviews with makers of all kinds who identify as either female or non-binary and they can come from all over the world. Today's guest is Annie Evelyn, who I'm going to call like she's a furniture maker, but I'm going to call her a furniture artist. Um, and, And she says that her medium is chairs, and I believe that to be correct, um, because she takes chairs in all kinds of different directions. Um, it's been, I, Annie and I have been trying to connect for a while now, so it was really great to get a chance to chat with her. Um, I will say we had our interview when I had a kiddo homesick with COVID, so there were a few interruptions. I do believe I caught all of them in the editing, but if something sounds weird, just chalk it up to there was a kid in the background uh, screaming for something. Okay, so before we hop into the interview with Annie, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Brandy, Studio Obey, Lee, The Rainbow Carver, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued ongoing support, helping to, um, support the podcast on a monthly basis. If you would like to support the podcast on a monthly basis, like if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, this is this is pretty rad. I would like to help support it and keep it going. You can do that by heading on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting revolution. If you listen to the podcast and think it's rad, uh, and want to support it in a monetary way, but not on a monthly basis, you can follow along with the podcast on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution and um, hit the link in the bio over there. And there's a way to do just the one-time donation. It says like one-time donation. So if you're really, really loving the podcast, want to support it, but not necessarily an ongoing way, we have made sure that that is possible now. Um, and as always, you can support in a non-monetary way just by sharing about the podcast, especially on Instagram, telling your friends about it, sharing about your favorite um, artist or maker that you've heard on the podcast. All of that uh, brings more eyeballs to us. And trust me, it helps. The more downloads we get, uh, the easier it is to get sponsorship from brands and all of that stuff helps tremendously. One more thing before getting into the interview with Annie, so just stick with me here, and that is I will be, me, Katie Freeman, will be at WorkbenchCon next week, which WorkbenchCon is, it starts Thursday afternoon, the 24th, and it goes through Saturday, the 26th. So if you are going to WorkbenchCon and uh, you're a listener of the podcast, make sure you come over and say hi, uh, because I have podcast stickers right now. 
that I ordered just for the conference. So come on over, say hi, and I'll give you a sticker. And um, I also may have some leftover t-shirts that I'll be bringing with me. I need to sort out um, what's left to ship out. But if I have any leftover shirts, I'll have those there with me too that you can purchase again, which will help go towards the podcast and help the podcast. So um, I think that's it for the announcements. Let's go ahead and head on into the interview with Annie Evelyn. So, um, Annie, I like to start by asking my guests to introduce themselves. Would you do that for me? Yes, um, my name is Annie Evelyn and I'm a furniture maker and I live between Bakersville, North Carolina, where I have a studio, uh, shared studio in Spruce Pine, which is nearby with um, a group of other makers called Treats. And uh, we just became an LLC and um, bought our building together and there's gonna be great things to come from that. Uh, we're hoping to have artist residencies and community spaces and stuff there. And then the other half of my time is spent um, in Cookville, Tennessee, or Smithville, Tennessee at the Appalachian Center for Craft, which is the satellite art camp or satellite craft campus for Tennessee Tech University. Okay. And the wood assistant. Okay. And uh, what's the distance between those two places? <laughs> I know that very well. <laughs> Four hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm not going there every weekend or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So before we kind of dive into all the great things you do now, I want to take a step back and ask, you know, broader question of like, what is the story of Annie from like itty bitty baby Annie? Like, where did you kind of grow up and um, how did you get to where you're at now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I grew up on uh, St. Simon's Island, Georgia, which is a little barrier island on the Southeast coast. And um, I knew I was going to be a fashion designer. And um, well, first I knew I was going to be a singer, then I knew I was going to be a stand-up comedian, and then I knew I was going to be a fashion designer. And um, at 18, I went to um, Providence to the Rhode Island School of Design, and I, you know, signed up for fashion. And then I went to one meeting, and the woman who had the department at the time was this British woman. And she said, "Originally, we don't call it fashion; we call it apparel." And I was like, oh, these aren't my people. And I like switched to furniture. And <laughs> what she was actually saying was at RISD, we make real clothes and not just like, but I didn't, I was like too right. dumb to understand that. So I just like totally left. <laughs> like I actually agree with what she was saying, but was too stupid to know. And uh, I knew that like furniture was my second choice because my grandparents had owned a furniture company and so I like grew up surrounded by that so I like knew it was a thing but I didn't I had never done any kind of woodworking or anything like that so it was it was a weird maybe jump but when I you guess say the they right owned choice, a furniture, when you say they owned a furniture business like were they making furniture or like kind of they were not okay. um they were not they were um in the company was based out of Massachusetts. They were Jewish immigrants um, to the area and they had 
showrooms in Boston, New York, and Los Angeles, and the furniture was manufactured in New Hampshire by craftspeople. They were okay. like business people. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I grew up with like, you know, my grandmother showing me how to like clean it and like mm-hmm. lovingly care for it. And like, it was the most important thing in our house. Like we didn't have art really, you know, it was just mm-hmm. like this furniture was like the most beloved cared for thing. And I think that's like, you know, when I went to art school and I was going to make something, it just like felt natural to make the thing that I had grown up revering. Mm-hmm. You're not the first person I've had on that started in fashion and moved to furniture. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, and, and, and like I say, that woman said that and then I, I bailed, but also the lifestyle. I just, you know, I think I had like before I got to school, I like imagined myself like on a country road, like making high couture, you know, and it's just like, oh, that's actually not the lifestyle you get to have. And <laughs> when you're a fashion designer but as a furniture maker you can have that lifestyle yeah it's funny when I was an undergrad this person said oh I somebody I can't remember who said it but somebody was like I'm just an art school for the lifestyle but I'm always reminded like how much that's true like you know it's like I didn't want the lifestyle of that craft I wanted the lifestyle of that craft so that was more important right right absolutely so once you guys started into the furniture program um, is, I guess, you know, I, I have not gone to RISD, so I don't know the answer to this. Um, is it all focused on woodworking or, um, like no. other, okay. Yeah. The furniture program there is, um, you learn mostly wood. It's like mostly wood focused, but you take metal and upholstery and mixed media, like, um, casting and mm-hmm. all kinds of other you know vacuum forming stuff like that mm-hmm. you know now not I mean I went there I was actually in the first undergraduate class that graduated they had had a grad program before but not an undergrad and but now they didn't have all the then but now they have lots of technology and all that stuff there too yeah I'm I'm waiting to hear back I applied for grad school at my local university University of Iowa to for the 3d design program um, which is like furniture design. And so, yeah, cool. there's a lot of like technology I've used before. There's CNC and stuff like that, but things like vacuum forming, I'm super intrigued about <laughs> learning about and how to integrate that. Um, so, yeah, I imagine RISDs has grown as well, um, yeah. especially like CNCs and all that mm-hmm. fun stuff. What yeah. to, the, to the wood side of that? with being able to learn all those different skills well it's funny but in undergrad I actually was not doing much wood at all I was you know I was not good at it so um you know I would come in with something and it would look like shit and (laughs) then you know my classmates you know these dudes would have what I call luge fest joinery you know like all be perfect and like everything kind of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. and I was just like okay this isn't for me and I just like backed off and I was really good at welding so I mean my undergrad was all metal and upholstered furniture it wasn't until I like became more confident as a human being in my adult life that I was like no I can freaking do wood I can you know it's like I can do anything I try to do and like shockingly when I went to go 
when I had the confidence and went get back to do it, I could still hear John Dunnigan and Alphonse Mattia teaching, well, you know, what they taught me in my head. So it was like there, but I just hadn't believed in myself enough to like keep at it, to try. I was just like, I did a bad job. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, after, I mean, after gra- your undergraduate, did you go straight? Um, did you go straight into a master's or what did you do right after undergraduate? No, I... So when I was in undergrad, I, in the summers, I worked for um, a local upholsterer because we had upholstery, but like not by anybody that really knew what they were doing. Um, And um, he was a used car salesman, an auto mechanic and a car and boat upholsterer. And so I learned from him and I ended up I worked a couple of different jobs. Like I worked in a sandwich shop and I um, drank alcohol. Like it was a full-time job. And I um, worked at a nuclear submarine factory and I worked at a couple of other upholstery places and then kind of went back to the guy that I learned from and was like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, do you want to do business as my business? And I'll step away from the upholstery. And I ended up doing that. And that kind of like brought me back on track from my like ne'er-do-well time and um, I uh, and then I did that for a couple of years and then was like oh I didn't mean to be doing upholstery for other people for the rest like this where, where's my like I missed the art like I think I had gotten tired of doing art after school you know I was like worn out it would take a lot out of you and needed some time off but then I you know like eventually I was just like oh, I need this to feed my soul. And mm-hmm. so then at that point, I used grad school as a way to get back into it. And, okay. And I am one, I went to Rhode Island School of Design again um, <laughs> it's, uh, because I lived in town and was married and owned a house at the time to someone who had a job. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like moving wasn't really an option. Right. right. Yeah. And so did you get your MFA then? I did okay. in the same department. Okay. Um, so where does, I guess, getting into, so the MFA kind of helped get you back on track of making your own art. Where does it take you from there? Um, from there, it took me to, um, well, so sometimes the grad students at RISD call, um, call it the Rhode Island School of Divorce. So... <laughs> it took me there. It also it was like a really dramatic time. My stepfather, who raised me since I was four, and was kind of like he was he gave me unconditional love, like in a way that my dad, you know, like whatever. He was my dad, you know, the person that raised me, and um, died. And then my real dad died, and then I got divorced. It was kind of like these this like really tumultuous time in grad school, and then I. Um, which I will say was like really terrible, but also really, really good for my work. Cause I was just like, had all these feelings to express. <laughs> all these raw emotions going yeah. on. Yes. <laughs> like channeling into my, my thesis. So um, I did my thesis on humor to deal with it. I was just like, so sad that, that, I mean, humor is always my way of dealing with pain. So I, you know, made a, gigantic heart-shaped whoopee cushion that said love stinks and I um made a piece that was completely designed by math asking the magic eight ball yes or no questions like you know I just was like if it was the more absurd the better and um 
So that was great. And then after grad school, um, yeah, I got divorced and moved to New York. And um, I didn't really know what I was, I, I thought I would go back to Providence. I just was kind of like, let me get out of town and go see what this New York thing's about for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up working at, for a, a yacht or doing yacht, boat upholstery there to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing in uh, upholstery has been the cornerstone of my like of financially supporting making, you know, giant farting furniture or other ridiculous things that no one will buy. Even if they don't look ridiculous, they don't get bought very often. So, you know, <laughs> upholstery has been like a, a, a chargeable skill that has like allowed me to kind of do whatever mm-hmm. you want. Um, I like to have that. I mean, there's just, I'm, I'm going off topic. That's no, it. you're fine. You're good. <laughs> okay. I, I just feel like, you know, there's, there's not one way to make a, make yeah. a living in this. And often it takes many ways to scrape yes. by, but you know, some, some of us can kind of product productize our craft and sell their own work like that. And that's like what feels good to them. And some of us, like myself, like I just needed those things to be separate. Like I'm making money for this. In fact, I didn't put fabric in my work until I started, um, you know, being able to support myself in in from grants and oh, yeah. work and stuff like that. I never put it in. in. Mm-hmm. It was just like work. That's work. work. Just, yeah. You know, I do <laughs> really separate. Um, I think though. So I think it's. I mean. Yes, I think maybe I'm one of those people who, you know, who was naive, even though I had several people tell me that it's very hard to make a living um, making furniture. Um, (laughs) I mean, I had several people tell me that, Um, but I'm like, dang it, I'm going to make it happen. And I still have not made it happen, but um, it is, I think there's something to be said, like you said, the skill set of like upholstery, like you can, you know, bring in an income doing that. And to me, it's like, even though it's work, it's still making. And I look at it in, you know, like right now I'll be, I'm working on getting my shop set up so that it's like, I can do some smaller production work that's not going to be super creative for me. And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. not like what I'm- Bread gonna- and butter. Yeah, it's not going to be like what I jump out of bed and like super excited to do, um, but I know I'll still enjoy it more yeah. than the, <laughs> the other work that's been paying the bills. So uh, I also think I should clarify something when I say I couldn't put fabric back into my work until I was making a living on my work. Those were temporary times. So mm-hmm. like I was doing the residency at Penland and I got a grant. So that was like a block of time where I wasn't, and then like, or I did like a Wingate residency, which is like, you know, paid four months hunks of time. So these were hunks of time. And then like, I would go run a residency program for pay for four months at a time. So it's not like, I have never, ever, and still don't because I'm a full-time faculty member, made a living from just selling work on like a 
a consistent basis. Right. Like there've been hunks of time. I just want to clarify that because yeah. it made, I just realized that it made it sound like now I'm just sitting over here and other things <laughs> selling and I just, you know, and that's like not the case, you know? <laughs> but I think that it's like, I, this is something I tell students a lot. It's like, is that really your goal? Why is it your goal? Like, that's how you make money and make a life. This is your art. They don't have to be, it doesn't have to be one thing. Like right. you find something you like doing and keep it separate if you want. Like there's, I think we put this like weird pressure on doing that. And it's like, we don't well, have to. Right. And the reality is, is like, that's why it's like, I only take commission work if it's like, work that's in line with what I enjoy making if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I'm not I've done I mean of course I've done work where it's like someone you know hires me to make a specific very specific thing for them just because I have that skill set but it only took a very small handful of those jobs to go nope I'm not doing that because that's going to take the joy for me out of Mm -hmm. making Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code maker mom, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. Um. Yes, I think it is important to note that sometimes you're not going to get paid for your work. And if you want to get paid for your work, like like you said, like, why is that your goal? Um, I know several people have said that once they started getting paid for their work, it took like the joy out of it because then it became a job. <laughs> and it wasn't like their art anymore. It was like, oh, I have to get this, this and this done to get paid. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think all of us, if you're an artist, you are doing multiple things <laughs> to make mm-hmm. money. Um, and that's the reality of it. But I think, I don't, I think the important piece to me is always like, I want to have, I want to feel like I have control over what I'm choosing. To yeah. Build, how I'm choosing to build this fabric of making a living and like mm-hmm. what things I'm doing, as long as it's my choice, I feel like, I don't know, in a better position than like, just punching a clock somewhere. Yeah. And I think being responsive and listening to yourself, like, I mean, making art is all about getting to know yourself and figuring out who you are. And it's like, it'll probably tell you what you should be doing, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. if you can figure out how to, how to listen to it. So with your, you know, art pieces now, like I've seen, cause I, you know, follow you on social media, like getting your work into shows um is that I guess maybe that's more of the question what is your goal for creating art to to satisfy you know something within yourself or do you hope 
like to be able to share that, you know, a certain experience or whatever with, with others? I mean, the overarching goal of my work is to make people happy. Mm -hmm. um, that's like, um, I found an old um, artist statement from when I was in undergraduate and it, it had said like, blah, 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 metal, blah, 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 upholstery, blah, 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 furniture. And then at the bottom, like separated from it, it was like, but mostly I just wanna make people happy with the things that I make. And I found it when I was in grad school, kind of like writing more artist statements. Mm -hmm. and my stepfather had just died and I had just made, oh, so I, I should say, I went back to grad school and I had planned, because I'd owned this upholstery business and I had planned to make easily manufacturable upholstered furniture. Because I was like working with upholstery and I was like thinking about a lot and I was just like, you know, modern upholstery, this was like in, you know, the very early 2000s when I had mm -hmm. that business and I was like, oh, you know, they're where they're making modern upholstery, like isn't, just isn't as efficient, like, you know, anyway, I had that in my mind and then my stepfather died and I made this, he was like a prankster and he always kept like a fake rubber roach in his pocket or like would honk the horn when you like walk by the car. <laughs> and so I made him this memorial fountain that had just it was like cement and like a beaten copper top that I made and and then I put a secret fountain that was remote controlled so if like people were mourning you could like press this button and they would get sprayed in the face with water <laughs> and I just had so much funny fun and I was just like and everyone was laughing and and I was going through all this pain and I just was like I want more of that I have to have more of that and then and I found that artist statement and I was like oh I'm, I don't have to make easily manufactured upholstered furniture. Like I can devote my life now, to like making people happy and like having fun and laughing. And, mm -hmm. and so that kind of became, you know, my mantra. And I was just like, I can do this. And, you know, I try to keep that with me. I think um, the other side of it is that, you know, for the day-to-day -day making, so that like might be an overarching, but like what I'm trying to, get is you make one piece and it answers the la the first question you ask and and plants another question in your mind and then you make that next piece and you are like following a thread and like when I can capture onto a thread and go that it's like I mean I have goosebumps just thinking about it because that's like when I feel like an artist when I feel like I'm succeeding like I'm like I'll just like be on a roll with the body work. And then all of a sudden, like the threads at the end and you're like, <gasps> you know, I'm kind of feeling a little bit like that right now, like lost. And like, I just said to my partner the other day, like, I got to make another, I got to write another artist statement because I'm feeling so lost. Like, I don't, I can't, I'm like half, you know, it's like, you'll be happy, like creating more pieces, like in the same vein of what you're making. But there's like, I need the like, So the, what is the question? Why, you know, it's like, I lost a sense of like, what question I'm answering. I'm just yeah. answering the question, you know, I'm just like, right. Answering the same <laughs> question and it needs like more nuance or I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think that's, you know, it's like when the design is just designing at that point, it's like, I think my personal opinion is that we, that all makers and artists and craft people or whatever are all makers or are, are all artists, craftsmen and designers. And it's like, 
just at different stages and at different mm-hmm. amounts. So it's like, I need the like artist in me to like come up with what I'm doing, the craftsman in me to make it and the design or the designer to figure out like how it gets, yeah. what it looks like. And then the maker to so the craft person to actually make it. That's, that's interesting. So you're like, when you're making your work, you're answering a question, you know, that thread. And I have found, I don't think I've been able to pinpoint like when I'm really making and when I make pieces that I'm just super proud of, like what it is about that specific process. Mm -hmm. I know I struggle when it's like design X, Y, Z. I have really hard time with coming at it from that angle. Like, I mean, partially that's maybe a little bit of the undertone of like why I want to go into my MFA program, you know, that I applied for because I'm, I'm hoping to get a little bit of that. Like, okay, if I wanted to set out to, I don't know, design a whole living room, like set, like, can I take it from that angle? Um, mm-hmm. And so far I can't, like, it just, it stops. But you're my brain. a physical maker, you know, it's like, you're like, I would still say that you're doing all the same things, but in a different like way, like you're responding in time to a piece of wood and like making those decisions on a fly. And it's like, the art is like, maybe for you, like when you catch the glimpse of that, you know, side of that piece of wood and you're like, yes. hey, let me put on my music and yep. you know, <laughs> right away. And let's like, yep. you know, but, and it's like, that's what I say. It's like for everybody, it's like at different levels, you know, yeah. it's like somebody might be this much designer and this much artist or, mm-hmm. you know, this much craft person, you know, like, right. I mean, it's just, it's just really interesting. Um, yeah, because I'll, I'll get random idea. I'm a big, it's either, it's usually either in the shower or driving. Those are like my two places that like, I get the bathtub. Okay. I just get hit by like, Oh, that would be so cool. Like, and it might be, it might just be a, sh- a shape that I can kind of like extrude out in my head to like what I would want something to be. Um, you know, or it is a lot of times I just, yeah, I have so many pieces of wood at my house. It's not even funny, but, (laughs) and a lot of times it's like that might sit there for five years until I figure out what that specific thing is supposed to be. Yeah. Until you walk by one day and it's like, (laughs) oh. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And I think for me, it's like, if you gave me a piece of wood and told me to do something with it, you know, like I have to like just the way I am, like I have to start with an idea. Like, like recently I participated in this show with um, the Center for Art and Wood, the, the croquet mallet show. And, you know, I'm a chair maker, as you can probably tell yeah. since you follow my Instagram. And, you know, Victoria reached out and was like, will you be in the show? And I was just like, you know, you're sitting at your computer and I was just like, yeah, I yeah. don't know what that means for me, but let's, let's try it. You know, right. like, and I'm just like, and making that croquet mallet was like the hardest thing for me to like 
you know, I, I couldn't, it's like, where do you start with an idea that you know is going to end in a like particular object? Right. I mean, I, right. I sometimes will say that like chairs is a medium for me, like because it doesn't necessarily matter. So it's just like, right. it's only like come up with an idea in a chair. It's like, it doesn't matter to me that it knows right. it's going to be a chair, but like a croquet mallet would go. <laughs> just couldn't wrap. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard. I yeah. struggled. I get Only it. Only the I deadline totally made it. that thing happen. <laughs> it was just like, and even then, it was rush shift. I yeah, <laughs> I, I totally, I totally get it. I'm wondering if, like, I, you know, listening to like so many other like podcasts and just like seeing people's social media feeds and stuff lately. And, try, and trying to put a finger on this feeling for myself of like, I'm wondering if where you're feeling lost is part of this collective, I feel like we all this year <laughs> are feeling very lost, very tired, very like, yeah. I'm not even sure I can like actually do the thing of get out of bed, <laughs> like do all the responsible things today. Do you feel like maybe that's part of it for you of this collective just? I mean, I think that very well could be. I also know that this happened to me many times with no good excuse. So <laughs> I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's just ebbs and flows. It's like you'll get on a groove and find it. And then just the thread just naturally ends and you have to kind of like re, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, readjust, like recalibrate, that's the word I'm looking for, you know, recalibrate. And like, and the other thing is that like, I mean, I use the, the, the phrase, like you're, you're answering a question, but it's like, you know, to me, my work has like, help me figure out who I am like if you knew me you know it's given me like the first like that in my grad school experience I had I made a piece that was um these vibrating coin operated vibrating tables that break everything on top of them so you put 25 cents in and I got all these tchotchkes on there and they fall and they break at the end of the first the night the first time I showed those people were like standing around cheering them like like a like it was like a boxing match and they were like putting the broken jockeys back up on there. And I like that, I was like, I need this. Like I need to create more experiences where people are as excited about furniture as they are right now. Mm -hmm. And that like led me down a path of event planning that like I have, you know, now taught college classes on throwing parties because it's just like and I was never you know doing that kind of thing before it was like the reaction to my furniture that made me like oh, oh I gotta make that again and that that led to the a collaboration called table fights that we put on for five years in New York where people made robotic fighting tables and <laughs> you know then it led to um just you know non-furniture based collaborations with mm -hmm. artists in New Orleans and New York and um you know just parties you know yeah, basically yeah. art parties but yeah. 
I mean, I get the, I, that. I get the like the reaction piece because I I have figured out like one of my favorite reactions people have with my work is where they're like really zoning in on it and going, oh, it's wood. Like, <laughs> not yeah, you get you like know, addicted to that. You're like, yeah, Ooh, yeah. and that's that. what I'm, you know, like when I've done my um, my wood bowls and I do the spin art and put a, a resin on it, like my intent is for like at, you know, not super far away, but at a distance, you think that that's a ceramic piece or a piece mm -hmm. of glass. And that it takes like deep, like, you know, really investigation, investigation yeah. to go, oh my God, it's wood. <laughs> like, yeah. I just love that. And I, you know, when I sit there and it's like trying to stop the grin coming across my face of like, a, almost a mischievous type thing of like, mm -hmm. I gotcha. <laughs> like, yeah. You didn't expect that. Um, and it's the same thing when I like die a, a piece of wood, like maybe um, you know, it's a little bit more recognizable as wood when it's just died, but it's still that like, oh my, like just not expecting it, <clears throat> you know? So yes, I totally get that, that being addicted to <laughs> that reaction. Um, <clears throat> it definitely pushes me to be like, okay, how crazy can I get with this yeah. piece of work? Um, <laughs> push the limit. Push the limit. So I do want to pivot a little bit because I don't want to miss talking about um, crafting the future um, when I get a chance to and shine a light on that a bit. So I'm, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the founding of that, like where that came from and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, I was a resident at Peninsula Craft in around. 2015, 2016, I was there from 2014 to 2017, but around, I think 2015, um, Corey Pemberton um, moved to the area and we became friends. And um, we went to Mardi Gras one year and um, we always like, we'd get into conversations and complain about the lack of racial and ethnic diversity and ditch and moan and just be like, everybody's doing a bad job. Why isn't everybody fixing this, you know, without doing anything ourselves. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> and um, when we went to Mardi Gras and we were like up really late, having a really great time in this, you know, our regular ranting was on hyper, hyper mode. And we were just like, oh, wait, we're going to do something like, you know, big epiphany, like we're going to start something, what, you know, and we, we decided we would call it black craft. And then we woke up the next morning and Googled that and figured out it's like actually already a whole witchcraft thing that mm -hmm. <laughs> came up with a different name later. We didn't really know what it was going to be, but we were just like, we need to take diversification into our own hands. Like at this point, like it's not, you know, it's not working. Mm -hmm. like the institution, you know, collegiate institutions and craft institutions and, you know, adult education are kind of all being like, well, we're not getting applicants, you know? And right. so it's, so that we kind of, you know, came to going back to high school age students, you know, where there are a lot of people already working with diverse communities and, you know, BIPOC communities already out there doing that so we just mm -hmm. were like let's create pathways for people to go from from there where there are already group, groups of artists 
working and like help them go to Penland. And, you know, that was our first try. And we collaborated with um, our first youth arts partner was um, this awesome place in New Orleans called Yaya, um, young, uh, young Artists, Young Aspirations. And I was in living in New Orleans at the time, um, managing a residency program with this place called Court 13 Arts. Um, and I went over and met them and he was just like, hey, what do you, how would you guys feel about sending some kids to Penland? They were like, sure, they knew of Penland because um, one of their teaching artists had had been had experiences there. And um, then I was teaching concentration at, at Penland that spring and um, we gathered up like a you know group of like-minded artists and we um, had a Kickstarter and we sent two students we raised we were actually just trying to raise money to send one and we raised enough money to send two. So that was really exciting. Um, and then, um, you know, we were really planning on growing very slowly because none of us had really, you know, any nonprofit experience. And I had seen people start nonprofits and kind of get in over their heads by like, incorporating right away and you know doing all this stuff and I was just like okay we're we're gonna go really slow um and then kind of the summer of racial awakening happened in the country and um with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd and you know the country woke up in a real you know crazy insane you know just like oh whoa what's going on and they they were like, oh, here's this group that's already been doing something. Let's get them, you know. And like, then you know, they everybody started spreading the word, and we went from 50 members to 1,500 members in like three months, and from two thousand dollars to like fifty, you know, like two hundred thousand. You know, it was just wild, and everybody was, um, everybody was, um you know, having auctions and raffles and, you know, posting and, you know, just, it, it blew up and it was, you know, Corey and I were like, oh, you know, <laughs> let's learn how to, okay, well, so much for going slow. Now right. we are, you know, okay. We just kind of hold on and went for the ride. And um, it's, um, we actually just, um, this, it's maybe like four five months ago now um have our first paid um paid employee um because everybody else has been uh volunteering but this wonderful wonderful human leah spriggs has um who has nonprofit experience and knows <laughs> what they're doing and is just the most incredible yeah, human. i think i saw um, that announcement on social media so they're amazing and um, they are really helping us get our shit together and um you know, I, all this, all the work that they have put into, you know, the organization just makes me just, I can't believe we, we've made it through last year without them. And I just don't even know how that happens, but it's, it's go, we went from, we went from two students, then there was COVID summer and we did some stuff then that we had like some grants and we, some, um, zoom classes and stuff that we did for our partners and then last summer we did 30 students so two to covid to 30 and this year we're doing 60 students so 
I mean, it's that's, yeah, that's exciting. amazing. And, and I've seen like you guys are doing some, like you're doing some classes, like specific classes, bringing artists in. Like I saw like, a glass bowl, blowing one. Yeah. Um. So that is that is Corey and Cedric. Um. Corey Pemberton and Cedric Mitchell. Um. Maybe in twenty. Maybe also. 2019 but maybe or maybe very early uh very early no yeah very early um actually black history month um 2020 so like early 2020 um they founded um a thing called better together which is um a glass blowing event that features i mean i say this a little jokingly all seven of the black glass blowers in the united states of america but it's almost true. There are like several, maybe one or two others that, you know, couldn't participate or didn't participate, but you know, that's pretty much it. So it's like, when we think it's bad in our field, I mean, at first they were like, oh, it's really bad in glass. I'm like, oh no, it's really bad in wood. And then I was like, oh wait, this is everybody? Okay, okay, <laughs> you guys got this. <laughs> like, this is really, really bad. Um, so that's awesome. And they're, you know, showing young uh, black artists that, you know, this. Here's some people that look like you and you can do this too. And um, and then that also um, promoting black entrepreneurs. And um, so they'll have free booth space for sales and like DJs and it's just really fun. The first one was in LA and then the this most recent one was at Yaya and there's plans for more. And so I just will say that also, um, you know, and I'm I'm involved in the like, raising money and the, the logistics of getting the students to and where, but then Corey, um, the director, you know, has also created all these other amazing um, opportunities for artists who are not in, artists who are already doing their thing in the field. So like um, he started a residency program at the Crafting the Future headquarters in LA. So we have two residents at a time in this space that um, gives a stipend and free studio space and also a free class at one of the class schools. Um, and then also he, you know, um, has put together like a bunch of curatorial opportunities. Like he collaborated with Intersect through Crafting the Future to do things and, you know, has just started all kinds of programming that, um, you know, it's been awesome. It's been amazing. It's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, to speak just kind of briefly back on like the whole glass part, like I think that those words will forever stick with me. I was watching like the most recent season of Blown Away on Netflix and um, there was a, a black, um, you know, glass maker as one of the participants in the show. And he said, I came here to show people that black hands can make beautiful things. And mm. like that just, I don't know. <laughs> it, yeah. It gutted me actually. Um, yeah. To think like, well, of course they make beautiful things. Like, yeah. And, you know, the fact that that needs to be said is, I don't know, like I'm getting teary now. So it's just like one of those things um, that I appreciate. Yes, and you know, that you guys are, I guess, addressing and making strides towards changing. And though I have not seen Blown Away, um, I, I believe that's Jason McDonald and he is one of the seven. Okay. The, um, better Together events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's interesting how powerful, you know, just little lines like that can be. I mean, crafting the future, like the reason that Corey and I started having these conversations is, um, you know, he, he has his own reasons, obviously, as a black man, very different from mine as a um, white woman. But um, for me, it was after the Charleston shooting um, massacre. And I was listening to the radio show On Point in my studio. And you know, just bawling my eyes out at the, you know, horrible racism and inequality. And um, this woman came on the radio and she was like, look around. And if you don't see any black people, that's a problem and you need to work to fix it. And that was like, I mean, that statement was just like, you know, you just, I think as white people were just like, we don't know what to do. We feel right. one person, like we feel helpless. Like I can't, fix this what do I do I don't know I mean and I I would say it's actually not just as white people I think everybody feels that way for all the problems in the world it's just like you know mm -hmm. how, how do we make it better and it wasn't until like just somebody explicitly said like you need to do something that I was like took ownership of the problem and I think you know that's what we're trying to do with crafting the future is give everybody a way to come together without having to necessarily you know found a whole nonprofit about it. And like, you know, it's like, we, we can do stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. There, there yeah, are I, steps we can take. I think, I mean, uh, along that same vein, it, um, like, you know, the, the podcast is, you know, three and a half years old. And I've always, I've always made it a point. I had talked with somebody else who had a podcast and she said something and kind of passing about like, you know, it's important to her to notice, like, if she's had too many wh white guests in a row, and that kind of stuck with me, and so, you know, I'm like, yes, that's something I also agree with, and kind of making sure, so it's always been part of the, I guess, mission of the podcast, but I would say, like, it wasn't until kind of 2020 and George Floyd, and, like, just, I knew all those things existed before, but it was like, I really cannot, like, there's no more escaping for anybody and feeling mm -hmm. like just kind of lost of like, well, what can I do? And realizing like, I do have a platform. It may be small, but I have a platform that, you know, I can share. And it was like that whole, like, share the mic um, kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, event that happened. And so like now, you know, it's, it's one of those things of like, I intentionally seek out as many uh, BIPOC people as I can find, um, mm -hmm. you know, on social media, I reach out to as many. Have you as checked I out the network can. page on CTF? No, we have, well, I'll just do a little plug here. Yeah. You can, um, we have um, the network page and there's a, um, a, a, like a, I guess a list, but I mean, it's mm -hmm. like little icons and you can um, find artists in all mediums, uh, people of color. Well, thank you. Now I'll go there. And there's also, because <laughs> I know you do all media. Yeah. Um, yep. um, there's also the color network and um, Black Artist Designers Guild. I was just, I also followed like the, the um, Black Guild 
I think is what they're called on Instagram. I'll have Bad. To... Yes. Yeah. 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 So I'll go there. Um, I still, I'll definitely check out a resource page. Um, Cause that will help me <laughs> in the hours. Yeah. Of I mean, and that, that is, I do. <laughs> yeah. And these, these things of like, these resource pages are opening up because it's like, you know, when everyone's like, ah, how do we fix this? It's like, these are the problems that people quote, like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know where to find them. And it's like, okay, so that's like where people are coming in right. and filling the need. And like, there's some, some ways for you to get to move. I also have some people um, that, um, uh, that I will in the wood world or whatever. That I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yeah, some of it for me can be like, I can find black artists. Um, I have an easier time finding black male artists or those who identify as male um, and finding, you know, artists, BIPOC artists that identify as female or non-binary um, mm -hmm. get a little trickier <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we'll just do a, one, you got to get N.E. Brown on here. They do um, uh, wood burning and have been getting into woodworking and painting and went to uh, Iowa. Oh, <laughs> then yes, I do. <laughs> um, and Tyler. Okay. Um, do you, um, it's grown so much. Do you feel like you're seeing it affect some change at the higher places of higher education and craft schools and such? Um, I don't know um, particularly. Okay, well, I will just say that I'm looking at the long game. Mm -hmm. And if I tried to you know, suss out whether or not we're having like, you know, the kind of impact we're having immediately, mm -hmm. it can get depressing. Um, so I try to just be like, we're working towards a goal, you know, that yep. isn't going to be re reached probably in my lifetime. And, mm -hmm. um, but even if you have a positive effect, you know, on a few people that, that it'll, it'll have been worth it. And, um, but I do see, I mean, these institutions are definitely, you know, working to make real systematic changes. I don't know, I'm kind of a, I would say realist, but maybe you could say negative Nelly and just be like, I mean, from the get-go, I've been like, people are paying attention right now, but they're not going to next year. You know, like this is yeah. going to be over. Yeah. Like we need to, you know, like just know that people are fickle and self-centered and, you know, all the things <laughs> that make up humanity, you know, the good and the bad and, and the ugly, you know, and we all do it for different things, you know, yeah. um, but but I, I do think, you know, there's some changes being made to like the way you apply to things, um, the way they 
judge things. I mean, one of the things I love about crafting the future is that there, there's no, well, I guess there's a little bit of gatekeeping because, but not by us. And mm -hmm. the gatekeepers are the people that are working with the students. So, you know, they're selecting their students based on whatever criteria makes sense to them. So like, mm -hmm. that's the difference between like a CPF scholarship and a scholarship through the school. Like that is still being selected by whoever is at that right. school. And you right. don't know who that is, you know, but this is being selected by people who are in the community students are coming from who know these students and are like, maybe it's not like, you know, maybe it is the best maker, but maybe it's like somebody who will benefit the most or could, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that criteria is, we don't get involved in that. And I love that part, you know? Yeah. But I think that there's more stuff like that happening, you know, as, as we all get more educated on yeah. what, and I'm sure we're making mistakes, everybody, you know, crafting the future in organizations and, you know, we'll find out what they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it, yeah, we're all human beings. Um, and I wish we had like so much more time to talk because <laughs> like um, gatekeeping, I'm especially passionate about, like I'm, I'm even passionate about to the point of, is it always appropriate that the knowledge remains so deeply held by a higher place of higher education? Like, how can we disseminate that knowledge so that, you know, more people can be successful? Um, yeah. And then the idea too of like, assessing out whether the people who get the CFT scholarships, like, are they going into spaces that are safe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we talk a lot about that. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, you know, work to kind of prepare prepare people yeah. but I you know it's something that I've heard you mention on you know other episodes and I think you know that um, is um the um the DIY being the you know level like helping level that playing field and I um I completely agree with that and I also think it's like you know as a teacher you know I'm teaching in at a college level um, to people who are majoring in this mostly, but, you know, even for them, like, it's almost more important to me, like they're, I'm teaching them skills and they're getting those skills and they're having a great opportunity with that. But it's almost more important that they learn the passion for making and the like, there's like, you can pick up a skill to do a particular thing at any point in time, you know? And once you, it's like, you have to have that drive, the, the desire and the confidence or whatever. And so it's like, you know, I'm teaching that as much as I am teaching how to, you know, cut joinery or something. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm teaching it, but this is a lifelong right. thing. <laughs> You don't just, you don't, you don't just hop out of school no. and be good at stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. About, I think DIY can be leveling to agree, a degree. Um, I still think, I think that field is predominantly currently white women. Um, and I would like to see it, you know, be opened racially much more so. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I've had guests on who have flat out said like, who, who were women of color who were like, 
you know, it took me a long time digging on social media to see if this is even something like that I quote unquote should be doing or could be doing, you know, as a woman of color. And that says a lot too, um, because it is about representation, right? We all need to see ourselves out there in order to feel confident and comfortable in what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, maybe I'll have you on again to talk more about that. Um, well, I was thinking, you know, you could have, um, maybe you could have Leah on for Packing the Future. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they can talk all Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, um, well, so we are at the at the end of our time together, and I want to make sure I give you a chance to let people know all the varied ways they can, like, see your work and see what you're up to. Yeah, um, AnnieEvelyn.com is my web page. Um, crafting underscore the underscore future is the Instagram handle for Crafting Future. Um, our webpage is craftingthefuture.org. And um, we have um, sliding scale memberships. Um, memberships are um, start at $25, but then you know you give what you can um, on the sliding scale. Um, and that's for one year of membership. Um, and that puts you on the mailing list and you know, give you a good feeling. <laughs> and um <laughs> My, I'll, I'll add in. I'll I'll add to that plug that I am a member, so like, people should should go sign up to be a member. <laughs> yes, um, and then um, my personal in, or my furniture Instagram is Annie Evelyn underscore furniture. <laughs> she says with the question mark. Furniture. <laughs> um, Yes. And um, yeah, I'm. Uh, that's all I got. I'm, okay. This is very fun. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Thanks for for being on and being a guest. Okay. All right. So again, that was Annie Evelyn, a furniture maker, furniture artist, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in addition to the project of crafting the future. I'll include the links for all of that in the show notes for today's episode. Best places to find those show notes is first check the description for the episode in your podcast app. If you're watching this on my Freeman Furnishings YouTube channel, you can check the description box down below for those links. And lastly, you can head on over to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast and find this episode as well as all the past episodes there and check out all the goodness. All right. So make sure you follow along with the podcast again on Instagram at crafting a revolution. There's all kinds of links there in the bio ones, making it easy to be able to head on over and watch an episode or listen to an episode as well as easy ways to support the podcast. Um, And while you're there, check out my uh, business stuff, Freeman Furnishings. Uh, You can find me shop dancing and power carving and making furniture, home decor, and art. And also check out my co-host, Katie Thompson. You can find her over at Women of Woodworking and check out that project there. She also has her um, 
monthly online journal, which is pen and chisel. So please also check that out and say hi to her. Uh, she will be coming shortly this month with an episode. Um, and we have a new episode coming up Friday this week. So uh, in the meantime, as always, let's go craft a revolution.